0: Thank you for listening to the weekly podcast of Community Bible Church in Savannah, Georgia. We hope you'll enjoy this sermon from our series entitled Imitate, a study on the book of First Thessalonians. For more information about CBC or how to get plugged in, visit us on the website cbcsavannah.com. You guys, why don't you bow your heads and we will pray together. listen to the words, the encouragement of the Apostle Paul as we approach our text this morning. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so also must you forgive. And Above all, These things put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Father, your presence is here with us as we gather in the power of your spirit to to glorify your son. Um, And so we we take for granted this privilege, Lord. We take for granted, granted that we get to gather and sing and hear from the scripture and just be around people who are like-minded and who love you and who love us. Uh, and so, just let us just just let's just, just enjoy that. That we are here to celebrate you on the first day of the week, the day you rose from the dead, Jesus. We're here to honor you, and and I pray that this sermon, it's it's a simple sermon, Lord. It is nothing, just kind of you know new that we will have heard, never heard before, if we've been in church, even if we haven't. But it is so profound if we will be doers of the word that the impact of this sermon will, will, will span into eternity. That there will be fruit upon fruit upon fruit if we will just in simplicity follow what you have said here. And so I ask that your spirit, I invite your spirit to just fill us, to open our eyes, to, to, to get the, the thickness out of our, our ears so that we will hear and then do, Lord, because the world is a mess, and it needs, it needs Christians <laughs> to live out the gospel, is what it needs. It needs to see the light of Christ. It needs, it pines for it. Uh, we, we can see it all over our country, uh, and so just help us to not be ignorant of that, to not just be so selfish that we forget why we are here, that we are your children for your glory, and I pray that CBC and the people here would have an impact on Savannah, that we wouldn't just be spinning our wheels, Lord. What a waste if we're just spinning our wheels. Make us more like your son. Speak through me, even though I'm a wretched sinner who who just consistently rebels against you, Lord, but just help me to proclaim truth to your people in a way that you're honored. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Didn't get fired after last week? Praise Jesus, I'm still here, all right? (laughs) Just so you know, the nurseries are in great shape for the next couple of years. We'll be filling the nurseries. That's another good thing. Although I will say this, and, and any man's challenge, everyone's challenge is no man's challenge. If, you, if you're looking for a place to serve, we really are in, in just need for folks to help serve in that ministry if you feel called there. Um, we're more than interested in just putting a warm body. But we had last week, I think the number was from fifth, 0 to 5th grade, like 260 students. And that's a lot of kids in this building. Um, so, and, and there's, and the, the problem with that is a great, but it, the problem is sometimes we have to close nurseries because we just don't have enough pe- pla- people or places, and so if you don't have a place to serve, we'd love to, to, to talk to you about that, and it's, it's not a lot of, you know, preparing for 70 hours during the week, but it's just a, it's just a huge need for us as a church because y'all just keep having kids, okay, so, um, which we want, which we like, so just as a heads up there, um. I'm a simple dude. For those who know me, many of you don't, but many of you do, I I just, I'm very simple. I could eat the same meal every day. Uh, I could wear the same outfit if I was allowed every day. I would preach in Chaco's if my wife would let me, but I'm not, so that's how simple I am. Um, I I just love it simple, right? I like, I love the one-click Amazon buy option, it's it's so awesome, it's so simple, one-click Simple. I like Google. Even if they're tracking everything I do online, they know everything about me. I don't care. It's simple. My iPhone, before this last update, which is horrible, it's like a 12-year-old girl's dream or something, but I can't figure it out. But before that, my iPhone was simple. Slide, call. Very simple. Love it. Remember, I, I, I talked about this first service. This is the funniness of our church. Remember when in high school, some of us, that one pen that had the four colors and you kind of pushed the four, it was the best pen ever because it was simple. And then I'm like, did I even make that? Someone came up and gave me one after first service. <laughs> I used to drive my teachers nuts with this thing, like, that's all I did in high school. That's why I was a P major. Um, simple, right? Just, you know, the, the, the old, I'm the old Nintendo guy, two buttons, A, B. Start, right? I can't do the new ones. My kids have all these things that it feels like I'm flying a jet. I don't know how to do it. There's triggers and buttons. And no, you got to hit the R1 plus 2 button, Dad. I'm like, I don't even know what that is. Where's B and A? Because I like it simple, right? What often is not simple is church. What often is not, I think there must be a, an alert because everyone's phone's going off right now, so... What's not simple is, is Christianity sometimes. Not because it's not, because we've made it not. We've, like, we've, we've defined what we feel like a good Christian is. So you got, if you're a good Christian, you've got to do this, you've got to do that, you've got to do this. You've got to use this type of Bible, the ESV Journaling Bible. That's the Christian Bible, right? How many of you got the ESV Journaling Bible? Raise your hand, don't be ashamed. Like half of you, right? All the, all the teenagers have it. I have one too. But that's the standard Bible for all real Christians, Right, and if I if I do that, I got to know at least five Spurgeon facts if I'm a Christian, and I got to have 75 verses on the Trinity and how it applies to my marriage if I'm a Christian, and we just kind of make it complex, and often it feels like a more of a weight and a burden if I'm a good Christian than what Jesus says that I have come to give you life and life abundant, right, and so. What I want to do today is kind of fight back against that, that pull. Because since day one, we planted this church. There's something about churches that people love complexity. They love stuff. They love be. They want to do, 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 do. And when we had 20 people, we had people trying to start do, 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 do ministries. And we've always just said, let's just keep, let's go back to the KISS principle. Keep it simple. Bad word. For some of you. Not for me, but it's for some of you. So I won't say it. <laughs> keep it simple. Silly. Right? Let's just get back to that, and that'll be, I hope that'll be freeing for some of you. Because what we're asking, every, if this is your church, and some of you, this is your church, you're a member, and, and some of you are just kind of a floater in or out, and so this is for you if you finally decide to land. But what we want from our people is very simple, and it's not something that we want, it's something that the Scripture teaches, and, and we're going to look at it today. And I hope it'll lift the burden off some of you guys. And it's just two things, all right? Everybody, hold up two fingers everyone can do two some of you are like yeah rockers from the 70s, yeah, yeah that's a devil sign you can't do that in church two all right two things is peace two things all right so simple that we're going to talk about that okay you can put your hands down some of you're going to like sit there the whole time for the whole sermon and you're like when do I put my hands down just two simple things today that I want to encourage you I want to get back to simplicity fighting complexity And it's two things that the Apostle Paul is going to say, hey, this is what is pleasing to God. It's in the same vein as what we looked at last week. Last week we talked about uh, immorality, and he says this is how you walk in a way that's pleasing. This is in the same context. So this is how you walk in a way that is pleasing. Two very simplistic, very simple things for us. Keep it simple, silly. All right? So let let me read our text. It's just four verses, and we'll jump into it. Now, concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write you. For you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another, for that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more, and to aspire to live quietly, and to mind your own affairs, and do work with your hands, as we have instructed you, so that you may walk properly toward outsiders, before outsiders, and be dependent on no one. So he starts off and he says, Now concerning. And what most commentators and people think is that this is the portion of the letter where he's addressing questions that they had. Remember, they're brand new Christians. They, weren't, they only had Paul for a couple of weeks, a couple of months. And so he got to teach them some things, but not everything. And so they write back with a bunch of questions for Paul. What do you think about this? What do you think about this? And so we're going to see that over the next couple of weeks. And the first topic they write to him asking questions about is brotherly love. What does Paul say about brotherly love? Now, the word for brotherly love is the greatest, most beautiful word in the New Testament, all right, in my opinion. It is the Greek word, Philadelphia, all right? (laughs) The most beautiful, eloquent, you know, this is just a great word, right? So much better than like something like Atlanta or Dallas, right? You know, those those are not biblical words. This is a biblical word, all right? And outside the Bible... This word for Philadelphia, it just simply meant, at its simplest point, the love of a brother and sister have for each other. A couple, couple folks with the same dad. Sibling love. That's all it is, right? Love of brother and sister. And, and what Paul does under the inspiration of the Spirit, what Jesus does, what the rest of New Testament writers do, is they take that context, the love of a brother and a sister from the same dad, and they apply it to this, to us. Right? They say, this is now that. This is what we're supposed to be. Brotherly love. Right? And so look to your right, look to your left. Just look around a little bit. You're allowed. Look at the people in the balcony, those sinful people that are late. All right? <laughs> balcony people look down at the holy people down front. Just, <laughs> just kidding. Just look around. Those people, if they are followers of Jesus, what the Bible teaches is this is special. That this relationship is actually deeper than the closest blood relationship you have. In fact, you think the closest blood relationship with me is my wife, Sarah. But in, but in eternity, she won't be my wife anymore because there's no marriage in heaven. There's no giving of marriage. I, I can't fathom that, but that's the way it is. But there will always be brother and sister Forever. So this relationship right here transcends into eternity. Okay, that's, that's, that's what we're supposed to be about. And what this what the idea teaches is that I know you're like, you feel so close that I was a try this at this at Southern. And I was a Sigma something at Georgia. And, and I felt so close to those boys and my brothers. And we were there for four years. Man, we went to all the football games. And that was a great game yesterday, Georgia. Where to go? And all that, Right. And so we're so close, man. We've been just together for years. And what Scripture teaches is that you have more in common with a guy that lived 1,000 years ago, living in northern Africa, who was, was a follower of Jesus, than you do with your roommate who was the same, in the same frat. Right? That he is your brother. Now, if that guy's a believer, he is too. But if he's not, you have more in common with that guy you never even saw. But why? Because you got the same daddy. Because you've been born again. Dad. And this is what the gospel does. Okay. It takes people that don't know each other. They're completely different. And what, what Paul says in multiple places, there's no more Jew and Gentile. Race is not an issue. There's no more circumcision and uncircumcision. Religious background, non-religious background. There's no more male and female. There's no more barbarian and Scythian. There's no more wrong side of the tracks, right side of the tracks. You know, I was religious, I wasn't. No more of that, but Christ is in all and is all. Right? It doesn't mean you're not from Missouri and you're not a female. That's not what he's saying. The point is, no, now you are one in Christ. Now you are brothers. And it is a powerful idea. There's this great scene in the movie, Remember the Titans. Kane thinks it's the best sports movie ever. He's wrong. It's just cuz he has a man crush on Denzel Washington. All right. Am I right? He's a good looking man. A good looking man. Yeah, no. All right. But anyway, it is a good movie. And and it's it's at the height of the racial tension of the 70s and integration, and you have this this, this white school, this black school, and they come together and make a football team. At the beginning, they're having all this tension, but they finally meld under some great 60s music, and it's great, and they they start winning football games, right? But there's this powerful scene when the captain of the defense, Gary Berthier, who was, was the white linebacker, he's in this horrible car wreck, he's in the hospital, he's paralyzed from the waist down. And the guy that was at one time his adversary, Julius, African American linebacker from the other team, now on the same team, they have become best friends. And he comes to the hospital to visit him, and the nurse says, Only kin can come in here. And Gary says, Alice, are you blind? Can't you see the family resemblance? This is my brother. And he comes in, and then he tells him, it's this powerful moment, he tells Julius, he says, I was afraid of you, Julius. I only saw what I was afraid of, and now I know I was only hating my brother. And it is a powerful idea that two people that should never like each other, that are completely opposite and different, different backgrounds, different passions, that they could come together and become brothers, right? Right? It's it's a powerful thing. And and this is what this needs to look like. And here's the first simple thing. One finger. Everyone hold one finger. Very simple. Right? Simple. Right? Say, it's simple. It's simple. Your first thing is this. We need to grow in love for each other. That's simple, right? We need to grow in love for each other. What does Paul say, again, in their text? Concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write you. You yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. That is indeed what you are doing. All the brothers throughout Macedonia. Look what he says at the end. He's already said, you've already done this. You're already doing this. We looked in chapter two. You guys are awesome. You're doing this. Everyone's talking about you in Macedonia. They're giving them money. You're being hospitable. This is what you're known for. You're doing this. But he closes and says this. We urge you brothers to do this more and more. And this phrase more and more, we've seen it before already. It's the first word for more is abounding. Abounding. It actually literally means to overflow. He says, I want you to overflow more in brotherly love. And think about overflow. I love this word. Think about when you overflow something, right? A cup has too much water. I was thinking about it in the terms of cereal, because I love cereal. Anyone else love cereal? We are a cereal-eating family, right? What's for dinner? It's Thanksgiving. Cereal, right? That's what we do. But, so, and you know how it is when you go and get your favorite Cereal. Right? And so I, if I go and the other night my wife was not there and I'm still on the sugar diet, but she wasn't there. And so I bought the biggest box of Lucky Charms I could find. And it was green. It was a special edition. So I'm like, I got to get the special edition Lucky Charms. All right, because it's green, right? So I buy the special edition Lucky Charms and I go home and, it, and my wife's out of town. So it's cereal night for dinner for the kids. And I'm like, what's for dinner? Lucky Charms. Yeah, I'm the greatest dad ever. And so I find the biggest bowl I can find in the house. All right, I mean, it's the biggest bowl. It's made for like stuffing at Thanksgiving. And I put it down and I pour as much Lucky Charms as I can into this bowl. And so much so that, you know, pink hearts, yellow moons, orange diamonds are spilling out everywhere. And it is awesome. And then what do you do? Then you go get the milk. And I'm not talking about that soy almond junk. I'm talking about, if I'm eating Lucky Charms, I'm going whole milk. I go, and get the milk and you pour it in. And what happens? It just... Bubbles over, more pink hearts, yellow moons, leprechauns. It's beautiful. And you just, it it doesn't matter. You're just eating it and you're happy. That is abounding. (laughs) Okay. That is overflow. But that's the idea of the text. That here, brotherly love for people that are completely unlike you should lucky charms everywhere. That's what he wants. That's what he says. And, and again, we, we think spiritual is doing this, doing that, doing this, doing that. This Bible said this, 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 And I'm not anti those things. I'm not saying that. But in essence, what Paul is saying, this is as God is looking down at those who walk and are pleasing to him. What is he looking for? You to get into yet another 17th Bible study for the week or for you to do what? Just grow in love for one another. That's what he's looking for. It is very simple. It's not complex. And he tells them, hey, you're already doing this. You're doing this, right? The brothers in Macedonia, I'm not telling you anything new. If you've been in church before, you've heard this. This is not new. Right? It's throughout. But it's 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 what God's called us to. It's so simple. And he says, hey, I'm not I don't have to write you because you're doing it, but also, here's why, and I love this phrase for you yourselves have been taught by God. You need to, if you're an underliner, underline it because that's a great phrase. Because I think all our application comes right out of that. How has God taught us? And here's what you have to see. Um, ESV and some of your translations, NIV, NLT, a little tricky here. It's a very hard phrase to translate because not to go into Greek intricacies, but because it's an adjective and blah, blah, blah and all these other things. But actually the ESV gets it a little bit wrong here in that it translates it as a past tense, as in God has taught you. You have been taught past tense. It actually is a present tense. And so the King James, believe it or not, gets it right when it says, For ye, that part's wrong, but ye yourselves are taught, are being taught of God to love one another. That right now, you don't need me to tell you anything about love. You know why? Because God right now is teaching you to love. You say, Well, how is He doing that? Through the gospel? The gospel is, that's why it's it's something we don't just get saved and then we don't come back to it. It is constantly at the forefront of who we are. The gospel is informing and teaching and driving and we keep it ahead of us. So think about it in this ways. What does the gospel, what is the love of God and the love of Jesus and and the comfort of the spirit? What does it teach us about those who are the rejects of the world? Right. And when I think rejects of the world, I think high school cafeteria. Right. Because. All of you know you are you're eating your green beans or not eating them whatever and you're eating you know, you get your cafeteria and you're with your cool friends and you're there and you look over and at that table there's the same girl who has been alone for 3 months eating lunch. And so Christian, high school student, what does the gospel teach you about how to deal with that situation? The gospel teaches you that instead of sitting with your cool friends, and, uh, that you would get your pizza and you'd walk over and you'd sit down to that person who was the reject of the world and you'd be like, hey, how are you doing? I'm Joe. See, that's what the gospel teaches. Why? Because you were a reject. Because you were unattractive. Because you were an enemy of God and he went and sat next to your table and said, hey, I'm your brother. I'm going to lay down my life for you. See, that's what the gospel does. What, what does the gospel teach us about sinners? Because our, 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 our whole thing is, oh, I, yeah. I, I can't go to their house because they're going to have a bar. And if I go to their house and someone sees me from church at their house at the bar, they might think that I'm a wicked person. So I'm going to stay away from that sinful people that invited me for the barbecue and to watch the game because I'm not, or I'm not going to let my kids go to the middle school thing because there's some kids at that thing that are bad kids. And we don't want our kids around those bad kids because then our kids might be bad kids. What, is the, what does the gospel teach us about how Jesus treated sinners? He went to Zacchaeus' house. He went and hung out with this lady who has the major reputation of having multiple husbands and is now shacking up with a guy that's not. Right? That's, that's what he does. That he's a friend of sinners. What about, the, what about the, the person that's made their life a wreck? That's trashed it with decisions and we're like, well, you know, they just would have obeyed God, they wouldn't be like that. They tied it, they ride it, love life. You just have to deal with the consequences. Don't you know you reap when you sow? What does the gospel teach us about that person? That Jesus leaves 99 sheep who are all nice and clean and obedient and he goes after the one that's trashed themselves, brings it back to the fold and then throws a party for it. And that's how we ought to be to the sinner, rebellious. Right? What about The person whose life is just a mess because of life. And and we don't like messy, right? We like clean, we like neat. And so this guy is going through a divorce and this kid is run off and the parents and he's a rebellious kid. And and this person just lost their job and this person has gone bankrupt. And that person has stage four pancreatic cancer. And we don't like to move into that mess because what can I do? I can't do anything. I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do in that situation. What does the love of God teach us? That he's given us his spirit, which is a comforter. That Jesus is a friend that sticks closer to the brother than a brother. I mean, the implications, y'all. What about the person that trash it, it hurts you? I mean, what about, some of you, this is like where I'm at right now. What about the mom on the other team, right, who you despise because she's trash and chalking your daughter and, and she's just obnoxious? What about that woman, the rivalry team? What does the gospel teach about her? Or, the, or the, your competitor for your work who's, who's purposely lying about your company and telling people different things to hurt you. Or that person in the church that, that gossiped about you or that slandered you. What I want to do to that woman is slash her tires. <laughs> and, and, and write a note, Jesus loves you. <laughs> what does the gospel teach me? That when I am reviled, or they talk trash about my kid, I am not to revile in return. When suffering, I order no threats, but I give a what did you say? I give a blessing. That I pray for my enemies. And so, if you go to Savannah Christian, right, and your mortal enemy in life is Calvary, that you're praying for them. And Calvary folks, you're praying for Savannah Christian. And Country Day people, you don't really have good sports, so no one really cares. But <laughs> no, just, just just kidding. The golf team's great. I know. But the idea here is, you, Georgia folks are praying for the Georgia Tech folks. Like the Clemson praying for the Carolina. That's, you know, that's the context we understand in the South. Your enemies, pray for your enemies, pray for those who persecute you, because this is what Jesus does. I mean, the, the implications of the gospel, right now God is teaching through his model. That, that's the point. Right? That is the point. That the spirit of Christ in you is the spirit of love, Paul says in 1 Corinthians. He tells us later that it's not a spirit of fear but of power and love and of self-control. So you're like, I don't know if I can do that. If you're born again, you can because the spirit of love dwells in you. I know you can. Because of the spirit of Christ. And this ought to be lucky charms everywhere in our midst. Right? It's not Complex. Very simple. One button. All right, but it's not always easy. Sometimes it's difficult, right? You know why? Because you got folks in the church. I got Pickering and I got Chittister and they're Steelers fans. And Steelers play the Eagles today at four fifteen. I got worse than that. I got Hurst and I got Peterson that are Dallas Cowboys fans. See. The trash talking continues. (laughs) There's people in the church that don't look like me, that don't act like me, that don't have the same convictions as me. They do different things. They have different passions. They raise their kids different. They do all these things different. And they may have even hurt me. Right? It's hard. But that's why we go back to brotherly, familial love. Yes, they hurt me. But guess what? Same dad, same savior, who spilled the same blood for me, same spirit dwelling in me. Goes back to the family. You gotta see. These people are just brothers from another mother. That's, That's the way it is. And we do it all the time in the physical family, don't we? For the most part. I mean, if me and my wife or me and the kids, there's some conflict there, I don't, I'm like, all right, you gotta see. I'm not buying groceries for you for four weeks. Done. You're out. You're out of the family. Change your name. We don't do that, do we? We deal with it and we move on. When If you have more than one kid, you'd know this. What works for one kid never works for the other. Why does God do it that way? To keep you on your toes. I have no clue. But this kid is passionate about music, and this one loves sports, and this one loves art, and this one loves nothing And he gives you a four different ones. And this one you have to yell at really loud because otherwise they don't hear you. And if this one you yell at, even, if you even whisper at them, they cry. And this one doesn't even have the attention span of three seconds. And this one, you still don't know what he's doing. <laughs> and what do we do? We adjust. All right, I'm going to show interest in this, even though I don't like this, but I'm going to show interest because it is. And this one, I'm going to be very careful because I don't want to make them cry. And this one over here, I don't know. And we adjust in the family. Why? Because we're family. And if something goes wrong in the family, we work at it. But when we get to the family, what happens? Well, they did this. I'm out. I don't like the way they did this. So well, I expected them to be this and they did that. So I'm, go- I'm, gonna, I'm going to this church. I'm church. I'm out. See what what happens? that's what brotherly love. And y'all, the world is pining for this. In a world where racial tension is at its highest and I don't know how long, and the division in socioeconomic and all these other things, it is huge. They are looking for something to bring them together. And I can tell you, it's not gonna be the American flag. It will not. What it will be is the blood of Jesus Christ. And so Christians... Christians need to stop fighting about who's homeschooling and who's drinking a glass of wine and who's, who's driving an SUV and who's voting for whoever and who's doing this. And they need to start understanding that the world needs to see people from the wrong side of the tracks and the right side of the tracks, tall, short, everything else in between, all the races coming together under the banner of Jesus and loving one another. And not saying, well, I know what you're going through. You just need to feel like me. Listening and caring and, and moving towards each other in brotherly love. That's what needs to happen in the church. Because the same dad, same savior, same spirit. Right? And here's, here's what I want you to get. That kind of love does not happen sitting in rows. All right. It does not happen shaking a hand. Oh, I know his name now. I didn't know last week. I've been calling him brother for the last six weeks. <laughs> know his name. It's Bob. It doesn't happen sitting in rows. It is not taught in a classroom. God does not, if it was, then what God would have done is when he came down, he would have got out his, his, his flanagraph or his whiteboard or whatever. Jesus would have said, here's love. Point one. love, love. Love, 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 love. That's not what Jesus did. What did Jesus do? He becomes a man. We just sang it a little bit ago. God with us. He incarnates. He becomes flesh and blood. The God-man. He becomes one of us. Right? And then he spends three and a half years with these guys, teaching them to love. And at the end, before he's crucified and resurrected, he says, what I've done to you men, I want you to now go do. Because more is caught than taught. So he models it, because if I hear, I forget, I see, I remember, but I do, I understand. So he spends three and a half years doing, so these guys get it, and then they spend the rest of their lives doing so that the church does. It's it's, it's the way we learn. Even if you want to learn a language, you want to learn Italian, you can get Rosetta Stone, get an Italian class. What's the best way? Go move to Venice for two years. Immerse yourself there and then you'll learn. You cannot learn and grow in love. It's not something you put on the heavenly chalkboard. You have to immerse yourself into the family. And here's my fear. Great C.S. Lewis quote. He says, We may talk so much about loving people in general that we have love for no one in particular. We may talk so much about loving people in general that we may love no one in particular. Again, this is not new. Uh, you're not, if, you're, if you've been Christian, you hear love, 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 love. love. But we talk about it so much and we put it on the whiteboard and we have quiet times about it. And we make it hype, but we make hyper spiritual. The people that are hyper spiritual do all this. But, but Paul says, hey, you want to know what's pleasing? Love each other. And look, the quiet time is important. You know why? The quiet time feeds the soul and gives me power and strength so that I can go out and do the things that matter. We make, the quiet time, we make the quiet time the highest point of spirituality. And what it is, it's supposed to feed the highest point of spirituality, which is you going out and doing it and obeying the 50 or so one another commands that are found in the New Testament. By the way, out of the 50, I don't even know how many are, like 50 something, right? Out of that, 13 of them are love one another. So like a third of them. And, out of, and beyond that, then you have like, greet one another with a kiss of love, serve one another in love, be devoted to one another in love, serve one another in love. So love is tacked on to like half the other ones. And then Paul says you want to fulfill the whole law? Love one another as yourself. Jesus says greatest command, love God, love each other. You want to do it all? You want to do all the one another's? Love. Right? Love. But it doesn't happen in rows. It just doesn't. And you we got to get to the point, y'all. Our church is growing. There's not a lot of space. The nurseries are full. This is great. We're resisting the, the whole go to another service. We don't want to do that because we just love being together. And we don't want to make it hard. But what it's going to take is some of you in the church. Many of you are doing this. And you're like the Thessalonians where he you said, you're already doing this. Now abound. But some of you are just sitting in rows. And you have to stop treating the church like the golden corral of your spirituality. A little bit of this, a little bit of that. Drop the kids off at the chocolate fountain and we'll get, you know, and that's kind of the way it is. That's not New Testament. That's talking about love. That's what the Apostle John says, little children, let's not, let's not love in word or talk, but how? Deed and truth. It's getting it off the whiteboard and getting it into the lives, Right? And that's going to take, like, like anything, real love takes sacrifice. It takes, it takes action. God demonstrates his love towards us. And while we are sinners, Christ died. There's action. There is sacrifice. Which I think it's interesting why the Apostle Paul and 1 Thessalonians, back to what he says. Now concerning Philadelphia, brotherly love, great word. You have no need for anyone to write you. For you have been taught by God to do what? Agapeo. He switches the Greek word for love there, right? They're kind of synonyms, but there's a, there's a sense where agape love is the I seek the best in you. Whatever, whatever is necessary for you to be at best, that's what I do. That's that idea. It's what we talked about in the, when we went through Ruth. It's the New Testament version of hesed. Loyal, faithful, stubborn love. He says, you, concerning brotherly love, you've been taught by God to Sacrifice to give sacrificial love. How? Like Jesus. Right? Like Jesus. It doesn't take place in rows. And think about this. I heard this on the radio just, just last night. It really kind of struck me. This is one of those like one minute, you know, sermonizing things on the radio. But the guy asked the question, he says, if you were to die today, who would be your pallbearers? Who would carry you? Who Who would be... Standing there saying, this guy loved me. I loved him. Right? Would you be like three guys and so the, the coffin's like, boom, boom. You know, they're dragging it out because no one to carry you. No one knows you. No one, no one knows your love. No one's been loved by you. We're, I'm, we're not talking about adding another piece to your Christianity. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about living out the Christianity that's, that's here. And there's not a one-size-fits-all. So I'm not trying to recruit you to the nursery, although it would be great for you if you went. <laughs> I'm not trying to get you into a community group, although I think it would be very helpful for some of you who did. There's no recruiting aspect here. There's no one-size-fits-all. But what you need to be in a place is where you are giving your life away and people are giving their life away to you. When, there's a, when you need a shoulder to cry on, there's a shoulder. When you need to laugh, there's somebody there laughing. We're just talking about doing life together. It may be getting coffee with the same group of gals that you've been getting together every Thursday morning. That's awesome. Maybe it's a group of guys that you go out and do this and every Friday morning. That is awesome. It may be your BSF group. It may be your community group. Right? It may be on the same service team. It may be you and your, you know, these ladies, that they all have the same kids at the same high school, so they get together and they pray every Thursday. And great. But you need some place where you can have relationship, so people know you, they can love you, so that when the, when everything falls apart, someone can be there when you need someone to pray with. They're there when you want to just go get a manny and petty. They're there when you're moving. There's someone to carry your sofa. They're there. That's true love. Saturday afternoon's moving somebody. I can tell you. When you're sick, that they're there. To let me get your kids so they don't all end up puking, and you take them to your that person. When you're in a the hospital, they're there. That, that's what the church is. That you're never, we got a thousand plus people. You're never going to know everybody, but there can be 12 of you, 20 of you that are doing life, that you've invited them to speak truth in your life. So if you ever see anything in me that is wrong, that I'm heading the wrong direction, please tell me, because I don't want to destroy my family. I don't want to destroy my, my my character. Those kind of places. And it's going to take, for some of you, some initiative. Because let me just tell you a secret about our church. We're like Home Depot, all right, without the orange. You can do it, we can help. We're not gonna do everything for you. And that's purposeful, because a lot of churches are like, oh, we'll do everything, we'll make it all, we'll do, 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 do. We're not gonna do that. we are gonna take some ownership in your part, because if we carry you to the beginning, we're gonna have to carry you to the end. So we're gonna provide some opportunities, and we're gonna just trust that you're like, hey, I'm gonna move forward. And that frustrates some people, because some people just want us to do everything. We can't do everything. We can do a little bit and then you can, you can do the rest. And that's kind of where we move, right? But it's gonna take some initiative for some of you, for you to move towards people in love. But this is what pleases God. And this is, it's very simple that we are to grow in love for each other, all right. And the second thing real quick, I don't know if you can remember this. It's hard, it's two things I know, right? So it's grow in love. Everyone say grow in love. Grow in love. Our second thing is real hard. Go love, right? Can you remember that? Grow in love and then go love. And, 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 and the heart here is the first part, Paul is talking about those inside the church. The second part, he's talking about those outside. So we would call it the world, right? But that you we be a part of growing your love for here and then you actually are going out and loving the world. Let me read the text Verse 11 as we continue. So, this is what I want for you to aspire to live quietly, mind your own affairs, work with your hands, if we instructed you, so that you may walk properly before outsiders, be dependent on no one. All right, so what's going on in Thessalonica? We don't have a lot of time to unpack it. If you read 2 Thessalonians, it becomes real clear. So, Paul, when he's there for that short time, is able to teach him a little bit about the return of Christ. And he tells them that when Christ comes back, it's going to be very hard. There's going to be opposition right before he comes back. So there's persecution. The persecution is so heavy in Thessalonica that some of these Christians are thinking, Jesus must be coming back soon. So wait, why are we going to work? We're going to heaven soon. So let's just quit. We'll just chill out. You know, we won't pay We'll rack up the credit card bill. We won't pay it because we know we're not going to be here. We'll go talk theology at Starbucks all day long because Jesus is coming back. Right? And that's what they were doing. So they basically were doing nothing. And so that they, they started becoming busybodies and bothering the people that actually were working. And then the people that were working were going to have to start supporting the people that are not working because they got to pay their mortgage. And so they don't have a job because they're sitting around talking about the rapture. And so Paul has to deal with it. And he deals actually very, very gently here. But in Second Thessalonians, when they're still doing it, he hammers them. He says, hey, here's the deal. If someone's not going to get a job, then don't feed them. That sounds very unchristian, doesn't it? But that's what Paul says. He said, if they're going to just sit around when they can work and not work, don't feed them. And after a couple days, they're like, oh, I need to go to work. Then they'll get the idea. But we're not quite there yet. They're still kind of just like playing, you know, this thing. But but what Paul does in just two quick verses is he gives us a great theology of work. And I would love to spend five weeks just talking about work because it's such a big issue in the church and there's a confusion about it. We have a culture that's not big on work. We try to get out of work. You never see a commercial for, hey, if you paint it, this will take you four coats to get this right, right? It's only one coat and walk away, which is not true. I've never found that paint. We got vacuum cleaners now that you don't even have to use. You just hit the button and it just kind of walks around your house. Unless you have my dog, that thing would be toast in like a day. So we, we don't like work. We got TVs that don't even have buttons. I don't even know how to turn it on. If you lose the remote like you do, you're just staring at a blank screen. Back in my day, the remote control was me. Some dad says, get up by the TV. Remember this? 80s. Hit the button. Switch. I'm sitting there pushing the box. Right, go back. I'm the remote control. Now we've worked ourselves out of that, right? Because we don't like work. And, and look, let me just give you a quick, you know, five weeks of sermon in three minutes on work. Number one, work is good. God created you to work. You were made in the image of God who works. Read Genesis 1 and 2. He is a working God. And work is not a result of the fall. Work being work is a result of the fall. I don't, you will in heaven work. I don't know what that looks like. Okay, he doesn't tell us. But in the new heavens, and the new earth, you will not be sitting on the top of the cloud, singing in the choir. You will be doing something. Just like they did in the garden. The only difference is it will bring absolute joy. It will be perfect because there will be no sin. So I don't know what that looks like, but it will be great. All right, so understand you're created to work. Number two, understand that work is more than your job. It's not just making money. There is work to be done in your marriage. There is work to be done in your spiritual growth. There is work to be done in relationships. Kids take work. They didn't tell you that before you had them, did they? You're thinking, I'm going to have these kids. They're going to take care of me when I'm old. They're going to bring me breakfast in bed. They're just going to come up and say, Dad, you're the greatest dad ever. Here's $20. Instead, that's not what they do. They take $20. They keep you up at night. You're tired after a day's work. You got to deal with spelling lists and turn papers and running to Walmart and filling computer printer whatevers. They take work, right? And we're all called to work in these areas, right? Third thing about work is it has value. That God is not impressed with your position. He's not looking, oh, he's a CEO now. That's very good. I never thought he'd make it. He's not looking down, oh, he's in. Uh, he, he's not depressed because you're still in middle management or you haven't got promoted or you're still working on your degree. He's not impressed at all. He upholds the universe with the word of his, of his mouth. So he's really not that impressed that you actually you know, got to the top of the ladder. All work has value. So you can't say, oh, it's just cutting grass. It's just spelling. It's just... Because there is no, is just that all work has value because God has put you in this place. And so here's the, here's the last thing real quick. And this is where I want to land, is that your work is not about you. We've made it about me. We have become very egocentric and I have to find my dream job and find your passion. And if you, if you find your passion, you never work a day in your life. That's junk. It's a great t-shirt. It's a great meme. It's junk. You, you can have the dream job and it'll be work because you live in sin. So yeah, you can enjoy your job. The young folks, just listen to me. There is no job out there that will feel like, I never go to work. It's the greatest thing in the history of the world. That's what everybody tells you It's not true. You can love your job, but it's still work. It's still hard. Right? I want to be a professional athlete. Ask them how they feel on Monday. It feels like I worked. Right? They get tore up. Their bodies at 40 years old. They can't walk. It's work. And so you need to understand that your job, your career will never be the ultimate fulfillment of life. It was never designed to be so. And it's not just so you can go out and buy, buy, buy and get what I want and get my boat and get my stuff and retire at 40 and then do what I want for the rest of my life. Those are non-biblical views of work. It is not about you. He He tells us two reasons we have work. Number one is that you may be dependent on no one. So you can provide for yourself and for your family. That's the design of work. So that you're not asking them, oh, you know, I'm sitting around drinking coffee, talking about the rapture. Can you pay my mortgage? Now, it doesn't mean that people don't have need. They get laid off. And that's why people, that's why you do have a job. So that you can help provide for people that don't in case of emergencies. Or that guy over there, he needs to do this. But it's to provide for your family, those who come behind you, maybe those who come before you. Because if you have to take care of your parents because they get old and they have to be, that's your job too. But to provide for those around you, to provide for others, to even maybe to provide for those you don't know. We support as a family through, I think it's World Vision, a little girl named Adilma. And we send $35 to World Vision and they feed her for a month. Right? And she gets good food for for a month for only $35. It's a pretty good investment. Right? Most of us couldn't make two days $35. But that's that's one reason that God has given you a job. It has nothing to do with you. It's to provide for those around you. The second reason, and this is the important one, is that you may walk properly before outsiders. That your work is actually for those outside the church. The outsiders is not Christian. Those who are not in the church, that God has provided your work for those outside the wall. Why? Because what you have to start connecting the dots and seeing is your job is one of the best ways where you can love people. That the way you do your job in a skillful way, is one of the primary ways you get to do this every day in which you are showing your love for God and your love for people because you are serving the world, you are serving the culture, you are actually making things better. When a Christian moves into the deal, he ought to make things better. He walks into a room, he ought to be better. He walks into a cubicle, he ought to be better. He's part of a squad, he ought to be better. He goes into that class, it ought to be better. That is the design that that you are actually loving and serving people with your job. He's like, all I do is fix toilets. And you don't think that's a loving thing? All I do is, you know, move shopping carts back in. Is that not loving that you're caring for someone's $35,000 car so it doesn't get a big old dent? So you're moving the cart so they get out of the way. That is serving people. Well, I'm just teaching kindergartners how to color. You're, you're preparing the hearts and minds for people to be productive members of society. It is a loving thing. I'm just babysitting. You're caring for someone's kids who are loved by God so they can go out and cultivate their marriage or go to a wedding. It, 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 Whatever you do, you're serving on the HOA board, you're coaching Little League, you're leading a platoon, you're flying a plane, you're operating on someone's knee so that they can walk normal again. You are serving, you are loving the world. And it is how God is designed for Christians to impact the world and love the world. And You need to see that. that, that you, even as a student, you're like, well, I'm just a high school student, so this is for my parents, no, the way you study and learn and get ready to master concepts is, is so that you can become a productive member of the society and you can love. So you're like, well, it's just, it's just science. It's just whatever. No, it's something that, that you need to work hard at so that you become someone who's going to impact and love the world. So they're not going to have to carry your weight, that you're carrying the world's weight. That's what the design is. That you high school student, middle schooler, that when you walk into a room at home, It ought to get better. It's not book bag thrown, shirt, you know, shoes like my kids. You know, I mean, like, what is this? It looks like it looks like a whirlwind came. Oh, the kids just got home from school. No, that you come in and you put your shoes in. Oh, there's somebody else's shoes in the middle of the hall. I, I, I don't know if it's my kids. I don't know. There's the trash bag can's full. The bag is sitting right there, right next to the trash can that was full. And they just kind of walk right over that thing. (laughs) Because dad will get that. You make a room better. You make a house better. Just God God is big on work, y'all. I know that sounds unspiritual, but that's because we have this super high spiritual vision of whatever. God is big on work. He created work. There's like 270 careers or something like that mentioned in the scripture. You know that? And most of them are not priest. Pastor. Evangelist. Right? Here's just a few. Here's just the ones I could think of and find verses for that begin with the letter S. Just S. Soldier, shepherd, steward, scribe, singer, sailor, stonecutter, shearer, salesman, sower, secretary, seer, servant, shield bearer. Silver miner. I don't know. Silversmith. I think that's in there somewhere. I just came up with that first service. That's just the S's. And there's probably more. Right. God is for your work cuz he wants your work to be a place where you love the world and it gives credibility to the gospel when you aren't watching cat videos at 10:30 in the morning doing your quiet time when you're supposed to be working when you're doing diligent when the boss says do this job and you do it well it gives cred to him and it is worship and that you're not a busybody Getting you know, I'm gonna go and uh, I'm gonna write a Yelp review about this restaurant because this restaurant's so bad. This guy smells, and their steak was undercooked, and blah 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 blah. God, praise God, love Jesus, come to my church. One star. I mean, that's busybody. He says, be quiet. That doesn't mean quiet like hush. That means like live, live. Don't be a busybody. Don't don't be flaky. Mind your own affairs. Stop going to everyone's house and telling them what they should do and what they shouldn't do. Work with your your hands. Work with your hands. See that your place of work is the place where God has called you to love the world and serve the world. And I'm telling you, I, I know that some of you hate your job. You're like, oh, it's easy for you to say you love what you do. and uh. Look, you're going to, you, sometimes you just work and you hate your job. You know why? Because you got to provide and that's good enough. I can tell you, I've had those jobs, Right. So that, that, that's all right. This dream, you have to find the dream job. You may never find it, but you can provide for your family through that. Great. But if, but if we would start seeing Monday morning as the place in which I get to love people and serve the world and make it better, I bet there would be a lot less envy and entitlement. And we would start seeing that this is something that God has done. And it would help you with those delays when you get passed over for this. I bet it would help a lot with that perspective. And it would help the whole, well, I just really want to be in in ministry. Some of you in this church will work in vocational ministry, very small amount of you because you are already in ministry. SCAD is your ministry. Gulfstream is your ministry. The United States Army is your ministry. Working at Publix is your ministry. Serving food to people at Applebee's is your ministry. Being a doctor is your ministry. Being a lawyer is your... you got to see it. you got to see it. Because our desire is to send a room of people into these high schools, into these places that rock work and that serve the world. That is our heart. I mean, Paul built tents for a living. This is the great apostle Paul. I mean, the, essence, the equivalent, he worked at Bass Pro during the day and he preached at night. And it was worship and it was good and it had value, right? Because everything we do, Paul says, work hard for the Lord and not men. You're not working for the man and you're not working for a check. You are working knowing that the Lord will give you in his inheritance, it is the Lord where, if you, if you do a great job and you make minimum wage, you can count on this, that one day your inheritance will be great if you are serving the Lord Christ. I love how he closes. You are serving the Lord Christ. Your boss is not that guy who yells at you, that mean woman who does this, the principal. Your boss is the Lord Messiah. And he's pleased when you serve and love the world well by showing up tomorrow and doing a great job. It is very simple, right? Not always easy, sometimes difficult, but it is very simple. We grow in our love for each other and then we go and we love people. Not radical, very simple. It's what we are called to do. It's what you are called to do. By God's grace, we'll do it. We're gonna celebrate uh, the Lord's table in a minute here, which is really cool because we're celebrating that which makes us one, right? The blood of Christ, the body of Christ. It makes that guy over there that's from here and this guy over here, it makes you brothers. So it's kind of cool. It also is celebrating the work of Christ, the finished work where he says on the cross, to tell us it is finished. I have sat down at the right hand of the Father after being resurrected and nothing else needs to be done that the work of Christ is finished. And so if you're a Christian this morning, you have put your faith in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. We invite you to celebrate the Lord's table with us. We want you to do it. If you're not, we'd ask you to just kind of abstain because it's a meaningful, meaningless uh, symbol for you because you, you are not under the blood and under the body of Christ. And so we would encourage you to believe. And if, if you have questions about that, we'd love to talk to you. But this is a, a celebration for those who have put their faith in Christ for the forgiveness of our sins. That we... Are his workmanship that we are created for good works that he might, that we might walk in them. So we're gonna celebrate that together. Here's how we're gonna do it. Normally we pass it out and you kind of take it when you're ready. Today I'm gonna to ask you to, to hold it. Just hold it for a few moments, and I'm gonna come back up, and we as brothers and sisters, as one body, will take it together at one time. Okay? Let me pray. And we'll worship. Jesus be glorified in your church be glorified in the simplicity of a body of believers who are different, that that just love each other well. That they don't see what the world sees. They don't see race, they don't see economics, they don't see politics, they don't see past, they just see commonality under the blood of Christ. I pray that this would be a church that does that well. We put aside preference, we put aside Pain, and we just press on towards the goal for the upward calling prize of Christ. I pray uh, just for oneness. The enemy will try to divide, that we would come back to uh, the commonality of our Savior. I pray uh, that in this, this city that is very divided, the city that is very violent, that, th- that kids are dropping out of school, that people just don't like each other, that we would be a difference there. And that when we go to work tomorrow, or go to work tonight, that we would serve the world and love the world in the way we work. That's all simple, Lord, help us to do it by your spirit, in his name we pray.